Hello, my friend, and welcome again to the Deeper Daily Podcast. I'm Paul White. Thanks for joining me on this fourth day of the month of February. It's a Saturday. Let me tell you about the sermon that's coming tomorrow. We recently did our January monthly meetings with our friends in Chapin, South Carolina, and Flowery Branch, Georgia. Both of those meetings will be the next two Sunday drops on our sermon podcast. Tomorrow will be the Chapin meeting, and we titled the message, quite simply, The Kindness of God. Now, of course, the phrase, the kindness of God, the word kindness, is an English variant of a word, the the Greek word krestos, that is often translated goodness. Every now and then, it's translated gracious or even easy, as in my yoke is easy and my burden is light. But I love the kindness, the the sound of that phrase, kindness, because it's a description of how God treats us. Paul said in Romans 2, 4, the kindness of God leads men to repentance. We use an introduction of the, a comparison between two gospel accounts of the Peter and Andrew conversion experience where Jesus comes to their boat and invites them to follow him. And we compare that in one gospel to the way it's laid out versus the way it's laid out in another gospel because I give a little proposition that I think Luke reimagines the story to show that Peter is so willing to follow Jesus because Jesus has been repeatedly good to him, has been repeatedly kind, even though Peter is admittedly a sinner. And that's the point of this message. That God doesn't wait around to be good until we are good. He is kind when we are, and this is to quote from Luke 6, he is kind to the unfaithful and the evil, well, or the unthankful and the evil. Well, congratulations, you qualify for the kindness of God. I think you're going to like this one. It's a message that ought to encourage you in the goodness of your Father, but it also ought to motivate you to be kind to others in light of how kind He is to you. It's the kindness of God available tomorrow, wherever you get your podcasts. And if you like video, we do have video of this encounter and that's available at our website or also at our YouTube page. And if you haven't visited that, please do. PWM is our YouTube page. And I want to encourage you to subscribe at our YouTube channel. And I would love to hear from you as well. It's been a while since I've invited your emails. It's always, it's an open invitation, but I need to say it more often. I love to hear from you. Hear if the podcast is blessing you. Hear if our videos are blessing you and the things the Lord is showing you. You can reach me at ddp at paulwhiteministries.com. ddp at paulwhiteministries.com. We would love to hear from you. Mark chapter 2. That's our, our landing spot today is beginning in the 18th verse as we're working through the gospel of Mark. The disciples of John and of the Pharisees were fasting. Then they came and said to him, Why do the disciples of John and of the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? Simple question. Let's go ahead and read Jesus' answer before we start to work on this today. Jesus said to them, Can the friends of the bridegroom fast while the bridegroom is with them? Good question. So Jesus responds with a question. Question, respond with a question. As long as they have the bridegroom with them, They cannot fast, but the days will come when the bridegroom will be taken away from them, 
and then they will fast in those days. Now, there's actually more that Jesus says. He gives two more verses, and it feels like he changes the subject into that old garment, new garment, old wineskin, new wineskin speech. I want to show you in the next couple of days how those two are actually related, that that's not that doesn't contextually stand alone. But I want to focus today on the question about fasting because they ask him a direct question. Why do the disciples of John and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? Let's start here. The Mosaic law, which is what Jesus was living under and what these who are fasting are living under, actually only required one fast per calendar year, and that was to happen on the Day of Atonement. You can find this injunction in Leviticus 16, beginning in verse 29. Um, In the book of Acts, they call this day the fast in Acts 27. So many Jewish Christians were still observing the once-a-year Day of Atonement fast. This, uh, however, I don't want to act like there was not fasting as a thing outside of the Day of Atonement, because if you've ever read the Old Testament, you know that that's part of piety in the time of the Old Testament. Judges, uh, First Kings, we have fasting going on nationally. When you get up to Isaiah, in the latter chapters of Isaiah, this is after the return to Jerusalem, they are talking about fasting in a negative light. By Isaiah 58, God tells Israel, he's sick of their fasting. Um, It's an empty ritual. Well, by the time of Jesus, the Pharisees and anyone following the Pharisees were fasting, at least according to the gospel account, they were fasting at least twice a week. Um, John the Baptist then focuses his message on repentance and seems to lean into that fasting instruction for his disciples. Jesus stands outside of this, obviously. Otherwise, this question wouldn't exist. He's not teaching his Pharisees to fast in the way that... the uh, I'm sorry. He's not teaching his disciples to be Pharisaical, which is fast twice a week. He's not teaching his disciples the way John did, which was frequent fasting. And they go, "Why why do you not teach this? Jesus' answer is not, well, I don't teach it because it's not the Day of Atonement. Although that would have been a good Jewish answer. I don't teach them to fast because it's not the Day of Atonement. You're only supposed to fast on the Day of Atonement according to the law. These guys were actually adding to the law and adding fast days. So Jesus ignores that addition and instead gives them a different reason. And that was a reason that sets him apart from All the other teachers, it sets him apart from the Pharisees and it sets him apart from John the Baptist because he says, let me read it again, as long as the bridegroom is with them, they can't fast, but the day will come when the bridegroom will be taken away from them and then they will fast in those days. He's setting himself up as a bridegroom. That's the new. By comparing himself to the bridegroom, he must be throwing a celebration. And there was, and this was common to those in that day. The Pharisees would have understood this, and John the Baptist's disciples would have understood this. That if there had been a fast, a call for some reason, a fast nationally, a fast in your city, for whatever purposes, you were excluded from that fast if you were in the midst of a wedding celebration. Because no wedding would be a celebration if no one could eat and drink. 
So Jesus, in, in being asked why his disciples aren't fasting, makes up the scenario in which they are in a perpetual wedding ceremony. He calls himself the bridegroom. He says if the bridegroom wasn't here, then they'd fast. This is fascinating because Jesus is positioning himself as the bridegroom, his church, his disciples as the bride, pre-saging when the church will come along as the bride of Christ. But it's also saying to all, to all of us today, fasting would create a scenario lacking celebration. If you think that Jesus is worth celebrating, why would you fast? Now we'll take it to the next step, which Jesus does. We'll do that starting tomorrow. See you then. God bless.